Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Standig Room Only Podcast. Ben Standig here talking to you guys on a Wednesday afternoon. It has been a busy Wednesday already, of course. Uh, we got news of Dan Snyder taking, uh, it appears he's on the verge of taking full control of ownership with the Washington football team where he would buy out the minority partners. Um, we're going to talk about everything that's going on with that with a special guest, Erwin Kishner, a legal analyst in the sports world. We'll talk about all things Dan Snyder and also about a New York Times report that seems to suggest that Dan Snyder is not going to be forced to sell the team. So we'll get to all that. In addition, we go hyper-local with another Montgomery County kid, Dan Helley, former, of course, sports anchor here at NBC4 Washington, NBC Sports, as well as a longtime voice on the NFL Network, now host of the Helipod. Really fun conversation. We've got a lot into the local media. You guys know I like that. Um, also got into uh, the Washington football team. His thoughts on Ron Rivera, not just in terms of like Ron Rivera, the coach, but now that he has this chance to broaden his scope of viewing Ron Rivera, as well as the organization against the entire league. It was a really interesting insight from Dan Helley, so we'll get to all that here in just a moment. Of course, uh, one of the things we talked about with Dan Helley was the fact that he was, uh, I talked about the the local jobs, uh, including the Washington Wizards situation. Dan was up for that position um, at the time when after the NBC Sports Washington moved on from Steve Buckhans and brought in Justin Kutcher. Helley was up at the time. I didn't mention that in the discussion, but just to clarify on, on that. So a fun conversation there. Of course, you can listen to this podcast always, if you go to iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere else, you do your podcasting. Also follow me on um, on The Athletic, where I do my main work. And I'll mention, the, the, of course, the last thing I wrote on The Athletic went up on Monday. It was a depth chart analysis, which, you know, look, it's it's months out from, from, the, for, from the season, of course. But with free agency now, you know, a, a little over a weekend, I thought it was a good time to sort of just touch base. Here's where things stand after they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick, William Jackson, Curtis Samuel, but also some people have left, some subtle moves, what's still a hole, and so on. But one thing that I also discussed in there, which I hope you guys have heard by now, either by reading The Athletic or just maybe you saw on Twitter or whatever, um, is that they are the organization is looking at Steven Montez as possibly their version of Taysom Hill. Um, th this was told to me by a couple of different sources, and this was a conversation that the team had with Taysom Hill at the end of the year. Uh, Taysom Hill expressed an interest in like, well, what's the next step for me? How can I help this team? And the team said, well, we have a thought. That basic thought is you're a six foot four athlete who ran a sub four seven forty at the combine. You played three years of basketball in high school. You ran track as a senior in high school. You're a pretty good athlete, and the reality is we don't quite know what you are a quarterback yet. There was obviously no preseason last year, but uh, so we couldn't see you on the field in those in those circumstances. They did see him all year on the practice squad. He was on the active roster late in the year, and it was pretty close a couple of times to actually playing in a game. But ultimately, you know, with Taylor Heineke, we replaced Alex Smith, um, and and that's how that went. But they they're going to explore the idea of using Montez in that Taysom Hill way, which again to for those unfamiliar, perhaps, Taysom Hill, uh, a quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, but he's really not a quarterback. He's a gadget guy. 
they used to line up in a whole bunch of different places. He ran for eight touchdowns last year. He completed about 72% of his passes, and he's in the mix to be the starting quarterback for the Saints this year with Jameis Winston. I would imagine Jameis Winston will win that job, but Sean Payton clearly is a fan of Hill, and they figure out ways to get him on the field. And obviously, I, I can't speak exactly what to, to that means with regards to um, Taysom Hill or to, to Stephen Montez. There are three quarterbacks already here. Could he be a, a tight end? Could they just, you know, it doesn't really matter what position he is. Could they just give him a spot? You know, all these things are, are possible for sure. Uh, it's just hard to know exactly what that's going to mean. But it's interesting. I love the fact that teams look to maximize their roster. I have no idea what Taysom Hill will work. I like the fact that they are going to explore this. It's like when you're at a restaurant and, you know, you you know, sometimes we see the, see the chef special, right? The chef special, essentially, I've not worked in a restaurant, but my understanding of this is it's sort of like they have these, they have extra stuff. They have, they have too much of this. They have some leftovers, whatever it is. It's good food. You don't want to throw it out, but what can you do with it? So they come up with something that's sort of off the menu and go from there. That's what this is. It's an off the menu discussion. Steven Montez is not likely to make this team as a standalone quarterback, if he is going to be ever be a guy who makes the team as a quarterback, it's probably as a backup, which is fine. But, you know, realistic, I'm just being realistic. I don't know what he'll be ultimately, neither do they. But try, do something. Why not Why not do that rather than him be the fourth guy who's going to get no reps in camp, most likely, because you, you have to give these other three guys a lot of work. Um, this is a good way to see what you have. And he has got some athletic traits to see what you can do. I've used this example before with the Wizards. Um who, by the way, by the time you hear this, the NBA trade uh, trade deadline is Thursday at 3 o'clock. I'm not anticipating the Wizards doing anything significant, but they are apparently looking to possibly make a deal, or at least they were as of a few days ago, to help them in their pursuit of the 10th seed. I personally think that's nuts. Dan Helley and I did talk about that, so there will be some Wizards talk here uh, as well. Um, but, but last year... They agreed to uh, a deal with Justin Robinson out of Virginia Tech as a sort of a high-priority free agent right as the draft was about, was ending, and they brought him in to see what he could do. Now, I had no real sense that Justin Robinson was a player. He was going to go undrafted. Regardless, they, they, they liked this guy. They were willing to sign him pretty quickly, and that's good. And the problem that I had was that it's not so much that he, he didn't ultimately stick around for too long. It's that Scott Brooks went to – Gary Payton ahead of him, a guy who Gary Payton can play defense. We get that. But Gary Payton was a guy who had been who had bounced around the league. We kind of knew what he was. He's not a high rotation player. I had no idea what Justin Robinson could be, but for a Wizards team that was going nowhere last year, why would you not give this guy who could be something, whatever, an opportunity instead of a guy who was not going to be in, in the mix? Sure enough, they're both in the G League, but that's fine, except like I said, who knows what Justin Robinson could have been if you try to use him. Same thing here with Steven Montez. I have no idea what he will be. I like the fact that they are trying. You have 53 roster spots. Nothing that says you have to be conventional. I, I, I hate how you go about filling each of those spots. Try everything, anything. This is what it's all about. This is how you separate yourself. Look at like, I mean, just to use the New England Patriots, Julian Edelman was a college quarterback that they that they turned at receiver. Chris Hogan was a lacrosse player that they turned into a, a receiver. Who knows what, what can come, right? Taysom Hill was a quarterback at BYU. Try. The worst thing that happens is you, 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 you it didn't work out. You spent some time in practice. 
you tried, whatever. And again, he could be a quarterback. Who knows? But in any event, enough about that. Um, if you haven't checked out that article yet, though, I probably just said everything you need to know. But still, I, I talked about a bunch of other things on the depth chart, uh, including some some other thoughts on the quarterback situation. What what happens at linebacker? I talked. I gave an update on Thaddeus Moss. Uh, also got into you know some of the defensive back stuff that we have talked about here a little bit. So check all that out on the athletic, along with everything else we're doing. We have a draft. Uh, we have a free agent and draft tracker providing updates in addition to the regular work. So you can uh, find all that find all that out on the athletic. Um, all right, let's get into this. We're going to start off with the legal with the legal focus, and then I'll get into my conversation with Dan Helly. But first, obviously, the news of the day is with regards to Dan Snyder. There's a lot to get into, so we're going to do that right now here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right, so the big news today in the world of the Washington football team involved uh, owner Dan Snyder and uh, reporting that he is uh, apparently on the verge of purchasing 100% ownership of the team. We're going to get talk about that, get into some other aspects of his ownership, and here to help us uh, sift through all this information Erwin Kitchener, co-chair of the Sports Law Group at the New York law firm, Herrick Feinstein. Erwin, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here, Ben. I look forward to it. It has been a continuing saga that we'll be talking about today. And uh, here's, another, here's another chapter. So there we go. There's always something going on with this group and with this ownership situation. So I'm imagining by the time people hear this, they will have a sense of what happened. But just as a quick backdrop, there's I guess there's sort of two two big items that came out today. Let me start with the one I just sort of mentioned, the idea of Dan Snyder purchasing the remaining 40.5% of uh, team ownership that's under control right now of the minority owners, Fred Smith, Robert Rothman, Dwight Schar. He, he, meaning Snyder, is doing this through a special waiver that the league owners will likely vote on and approve next week at the owners meeting for him to take on an additional $450 million in debt, I'll mention that Tyler Dunn, a reporter, looks like he deals with uh, law and legal and other NFL matters, was the first one to report this aspect, I believe. So based on just that, can you maybe sort of break down for us what what all that means to you? What are some of the implications of this situation? Well, I think there's a, there's a number of things that you just mentioned there, Ben. Uh, first off, uh, let's talk about uh, the situation that prompted this. Um, you know, no league, and obviously the NFL included, likes any kind of public dissension or public spectacle, and uh, I use that word uh, with, with all intention, um, as to what is going on with ownership. Um, the NFL, the, you know, in all the major leagues, like cohesion in their ownership groups. Uh, not the, the least of which um, there's been a tremendous amount of back and forth with WFT. Um, you know, Dan, who's a Dan Snyder, who's a, you know, a rather, uh, you know, w- well-known owner and, and uh, not a shrinking violet by any stretch, uh, had some very, very distinct and strong ideas on what and how things should be run. And the minority group, and again, a large minority group, you know, something over 40%, uh, had some other views, and and that dispute became rather public. Uh, so I am certain that at league levels, what we were witnessing, or you know, is some severe pressure to make this right, and to make this happen, and to make things 
um, uh, in, in a manner so that this is no longer the focus uh, of the league. The league doesn't like these kind of diversions. Their main thing is to is the, is the product on the field and to have a great football season. So, so, so that being said, something had to be done. Uh, there was really, I, I, the way I see it, there were really two options. The option A was uh, a, an entire change of control. I never heard of real serious rumblings on the change of control option. The other uh, um, mention, because if there was a change of control option, that would there be an entire process that, that needs to be followed in order to, to accomplish that. Um, I'm not quite sure if the league was pushing for that or, or not, but it doesn't seem as if they were simply because of the result that, that came through today. So, so option B was uh, taking out the minority. Uh, one of the principles of not just uh, um, of economics, but of, or, or, of, of, or of corporate law is that in order to take out the minority, you typically have to pay fair market value. Uh, absent an agreement between members. It seems to me that the members came to an agreement. Uh, and then the question is, how does Mr. Snyder, through his various controlled entities, uh, manage to pay the price? And what this is and what is being designed as is a classic levered buyout. So in other words, the way I imagine the structure of this transaction being, uh, you know, being set is that there will be some equity, but a very significant portion of debt, and that debt is coming in the form of additional loans. Uh, the NFL has strict rules on the amount of indebtedness that one can take in respect of the club, and uh, it appears that based on the structure, we're going past those rules, and as a result. Uh, you need a waiver. And that waiver is twofold. One is to, to approve the actual transaction itself. And the second is to approve Mr. Snyder as becoming the ultimate and whole owner of, of the club. Um, so, so there's so much interesting information there. You mentioned the idea of uh, change of control or you know that that would be an option that doesn't appear that they're heading down that path. So what's interesting, of course, is that this sort of leads to the second big item of, of, of the day. This came from the New York Times. Um, and, and just to read this from there, this is the start of their article today, quote, seeking to move past a year of tumult over the team's former name and a sexual harassment investigation of its front office, the owner of the Washington football team is close to a deal with fellow NFL owners that will give him greater control over the franchise while he pays a fine for executives in misconduct, the arrangement effectively resolves two pressing issues, a protracted boardroom fight over ownership that I'll mention, say that you just were mentioning, um, and, uh, and an investigation by the NFL into allegations that women who worked for the team were sexually harassed by staff members, a number of whom have already been dismissed. Um, it almost feels like this part of the story was to some degree buried under the other part, because I think in the order of the day, the other part came first, the idea that Dan Snyder was going to uh, looks like going to be approved to purchase the full team but that's still because I was told at the time when I confirmed that aspect of the story that um, the ongoing investigation by uh, Washington DC uh, attorney Beth Wilkinson was still ongoing so these mm -hmm. things were separate however it doesn't beg the question how is he sort of getting approved for this waiver how is the league saying basically we're going to move forward on this end if there's still this investigation and it seems like this New York Times report is basically saying, tell me where I'm wrong, that yeah, 
whether the report is ongoing or not, we're feeling pretty decent that he's not, there's nothing going to be here that says he's going to have to sell. Therefore, there may be a fine, but we're going to move forward to these other aspects. Does that seem like a fair read based on these two? I, I, I think that's, that read is precisely correct. Look, there was a tremendous amount of, uh, of, of tumultuous activity as a result of the uh, extreme allegations made about the cultural, um, well, I'll just use the word irregularities. I mean, it's obviously way worse than that. Um, one of the things uh, that I think that you know happened, and I think happened promptly and severely, uh, was that there was what seemed, by all extents of purposes, a fairly extensive investigation conducted by Attorney Wilkinson and, and others, by the way. Um, and uh, you know that investigation had it turned up damning evidence on Mr. Snyder himself would have been it for him because there's no way the league would have tolerated um, any sort of, uh, of adverse behavior by Mr. Snyder. That said, this did happen under his watch. It's, it's undeniable. Um, you know, where does the culture come from? Some, you know, and, uh, and, and how is it possible that he didn't know about this? Um, those are all very legitimate, valid questions, um, you know, but it does seem that the response was appropriate uh, in the context of the, some people losing their jobs uh, and really out, you know, and really rooting out this culture, the, these cultural irregularities that were taking place uh, at, at the clubs. So, you know, it was a really a tremendous blight on the Washington Football Club. I mean, on top of a whole name uh, controversy, let's just call it that way, putting on top of that the, uh, the, the, the awful cultural uh, allegations, awful, I mean, just simply awful, but it, it seems that the team dealt with that um, quickly and severely, which was frankly, probably appropriate based on what I can tell. Uh, and as a result, um, you're now at this stage, which is, um, presumably, presumably uh, approval by the league and the ownership members or, or, the, or the other franchise owners uh, of the ultimate uh, acquisition by, by Snyder. Um, I don't think we would have gotten to this point of the process had it been different. Um, I think if had it been different, we would be going down what I'll call path A which is that first path of likely a, a, a change of control transaction. Yeah, I mean, uh, very much not a not even close to being a law expert by any stretch, but like I remember just throughout this process and everybody, I like I know the fan base, when this all started to come up and particularly recently, there were some reports that, um, there was a report from a local radio station that said that they had seen a copy of this report from Beth Wilkinson and that, or some version of a report from Beth Wilkinson and in it, it supposedly recommended that uh, the top line uh, thing that the league should do would be to remove Dan Snyder from ownership. And all I kept thinking was, well, one, we don't know what this report is and nothing's been confirmed since. And even the station has pulled back a little bit on some of the reporting uh, in terms of just fully, not fully grasping exactly what it is. But my whole thing was, regardless of how foul some of these allegations have been since last, since last summer, that it just seemed like I don't know if I'm using the Donald Sterling bar as the right bar, but it just felt like I didn't see enough here that based on history would suggest that the owner, an owner would be forced to sell by his fellow owners. And it feels like that's kind of ultimately 
to some degree, kind of what we're, we're, we're ultimately what we're getting at here. Yeah, listen, D Donald Sterling, and there is an analogy to be made there. Donald Sterling's behavior was simply atrocious. Uh, he was a direct offender. He was caught in the act, so to speak. Um, I don't believe, based on what I've heard, and, and again, I, I could be, I haven't seen the report either, but based on what I've heard, based on what I've read, based on what's coming out publicly, it didn't put Snyder in that same direct path. Again, look, a culture, you certainly could say, starts from the top. Uh, permitting a culture where there's these kinds of, uh, as I said, terrible behaviors uh, is, is, is a real black mark on anybody's record. That said, to what degree, uh, you know, it, it, does, it, it, does it really necessitate a force of uh, a change of ownership? Had you really not known about it, or you really, it would have been hard to have known about it. And that's where I think we're at on this. So again, black mark, absolutely. Forced change of ownership, that might be a bit extreme given the facts and circumstances that I understand to be the case as of this moment. All right, well, um, since, uh, since, since we can't, uh, you know, I don't wanna say give everybody, can't give everybody good news because I know people, a lot of fans out there would wish for change, but okay, let's put that aside for a second. Does, I don't know if this is a question for you, but you're the, you're, you're, you're the expert here, so we'll try. This debt waiver that Dan Snyder's taking on. Now, one of the things that's always been interesting about his situation is how liquid he is and how important he is that with, with ownership. And, and part of one thing we've I've all wondered to a degree was he was doing this. He had right of first refusal with the minority owners. They had originally agreed to sell the team to an outside person, I think for slightly more money than they were getting here. But who $50 million, you know, when you're talking about 850 million, probably not that big of a number. Uh, <laughs> uh, but so in any event, Dan Snyder was like sort of saying, well, I'm going to take exercise my right of first refusal to buy out two of the owners, not the third. I think part of this was involving the, uh, the, 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 the spat that was going public. But there was also some question about Dan Snyder's liquidity, his personal liquidity or him and his family. Does this debt waiver tell us anything about Dan Snyder's finances his liquidity and does that matter just in terms of the broad ownership of the team it, it is a polycentric issue there uh, ben that we're touching upon um look the question is going to be what's the cash flow coming out of the club uh to support the, the the debt load what are the interest rates what is the amortization on the debt um or is it so favorable that it, it really couldn't be passed up and i have so much cash but i can really deploy this cash in a much better fashion therefore the opportunity cost uh, uh for me is is i'm better off keeping my money in a media company i'm just making that up versus uh, putting it into the ownership of the team so often you'll come up with this what i'll call financial engineering uh to figure out what's the maximum way you can always prepay indebtedness there may be some prepayment penalties, but you could always prepay indebtedness. So I, I would not read too much into the fact that he's doing or taking on this debt. I think what the NFL sees here is cleaning up a messy situation for a, um, you know, a formerly fantastic franchise that's, um, you know, a, a legacy franchise that's had some rough times over the last several years. Maybe, just maybe this gets it back in, into track. And by the way, not for nothing, but uh, you know, putting all of the ownership into one bucket, i.e. Snyder's, um, does facilitate for making an easier change of control transaction later on. Um, 
if that were the way to ultimately, uh, you know, is where the league would, were to wind up. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't read too much into just the debt levels as that translates into Snyder's personal balance sheet. Um, there's, there's so many things at play that it's hard to come to a conclusion just with that one fact, uh, in, you know, i.e. taking on more debt to complete a purchase. Um, so speaking of taking control, so now, so I guess, well, this is a small question. How long, so let's just, so next week, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday is when apparently the owners would meet and, and vote on this. It seems, so they need to get 75% approval. That's 24 out of the 32 owners. I think the expectations are that, that that's going to happen if we've, if we've reached this point. How long does that curiosity, does that typically take? If they take the vote, how long does that actual process very, take? Very, quick, very quickly thereafter. Um, I would imagine that, you know, since there was an announcement of this, uh, that documents are already pretty much baked, uh, that the transaction documents from, you know, the change of control documents are pretty much baked, the financing documents are pretty much baked. I bet you that, um, you know, it's, there's a condition precedent that we need the NFL approval, but, you know, funding and closing something like this within a week or two or three thereafter would be my expectation. And now, so when he gets, when that sale is done, he's got 100% control, he and his, his family. Um, I, I guess, I mean, you don't, I don't assume you can't say this for sure, but that, now the question becomes like, does he then look to have other minority uh, partners come on board to take on some of this? How much do you think ultimately on some level that's part of the situation that he's not, I mean, he's in just saying he wants to, like as if the other people sold it to somebody he doesn't know, then it's sort of, potentially awkward circumstances. Do we think that he will, I mean, the likely play is he then sells it to somebody else and, and it, can he do that immediately once it's sold or does he have to wait a certain amount of time? Uh, you know, there's no restrictions on the amount of, I mean, you can't sell without you get the NFL approval. So NFL approval is gonna be required no matter what. Um, trying to bring in other minority owners in a professional sports team is done all the time. Uh, there are, uh, many transactions, minority interest transactions that, that take place all the time. And in fact, um, there are certain funds that are being formed, SPACs that are, <laughs> that are being formed that are actually buying interest in professional sports teams as we speak. Um, so, so, you know, ultimately trying to generate some liquidity as a result of a minority interest purchase um, you know, is certainly something that is likely on, that is in his thought process, whether it's a year from today or six months from today, uh, one doesn't know. I will tell you though, that in trading minority interest, there's typically a discount, uh, you know, a lack of control discount, uh, a minority interest discount associated with that. So the question is going to be, um, you know, how much money can he get and uh, is it worth it? Does he need the liquidity? I'm sure that the funds will need to be used to pay off debt if that were the case. That said, I would also imagine that there would be interest in picking up uh, some of these pieces should they be uh, should they hit the market. So uh, based on all everything we just discussed, to a degree, this report that's going to come, now we don't know if it's going to be made public. There's been a lot of pressure from different groups to say, hey, put, make this a public document. I don't think we know yet for sure if the NFL intends on doing that. If it is made public, is there anything in there that you would, I guess, what would be notable 
to you or what, what, what would you be looking for? And I guess this underground I'm kind of asking like what's next if we're just, if we're waiting for this report or what do you, what, what's kind of on the horizon for you? You, you would have to think that the NFL is uh, very aware by of what the contents of such report are going to have or, or contain you, I would submit. Um, I don't know if it's going to be public or not. I, I, I don't, I, I just don't know. Uh, you know, at certain points, these things generally find their way into the, into the public domain one way or the other way. So, right. you know, it's, it's, you know, at some point it's, it's likely going to be leaked or what have you. That said, um, you know, if there were, you know, I would expect this report to be harsh on Snyder, but not um, uh, a death blow to Snyder I, is, is my expectation. There may be, um, you know, a continuing reporting requirement to the, to the league. There may be open to inspections that they'll have to put in processes to make sure that things like this don't happen again, um, you know, with, with uh, whistleblowing procedures and, and the like. Um, but I bet you most of that's already been done. Um, so uh, I, I really appreciate the, the, the insight into all this. And I guess, how do I say this? Um, what, if, if this happens the way we've discussed it, that, this, uh, that Dan Snyder is going to be fined, as the New York Times has stated, which would, input, which would infer that this report is not going to come up with any uh, you know, smoking gun, as it, to use the term, that that would, that would put his ownership in jeopardy. Do we then at that point... Again, without knowing exactly what's in the report, are we just at that point where Dan Snyder is the owner of the team and whether he sells off any minority shares or not, he's the owner of the team. And until he either decides to sell it or the end of time, that that's where we're at. That's where this seems to be heading, uh, Ben, is exactly that. It seems to me that, um, uh, you know, there will be, as you said, I said, a severe punishment on, on Snyder. So you could see something like, I'm, I'm making up numbers, a $10 million fine, a $15 million, fine, whatever, um, you know, setting up some sort of uh, training and, and, and what have you. So, so you could see all that, or I can envision all that happening, you know, and again, but you can also envision assuming approval, which again, I think is, is going to happen. I won't say it's a mere formality, but I definitely think it's going to happen. I'd be shocked if it did not. And then you could see the, the deal closing quickly thereafter. So when all the dust settles, I think what you have is, is a newly named Washington football team with a, an owner named Dan Snyder, who will own the franchise for such period of time as he, until he decides to sell. All right. Well, Erwin, I really appreciate the time and helping us explain uh, or helping uh, to explain kind of what's going on here. Erwin Kitchener, co-chair of the sports law group at Herrick Feinstein. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, stay safe and uh, hopefully we'll talk down the line when if something else uh, comes up. It was a pleasure being here, Ben. Thank you for having me. All right. Many thanks to Erwin Kitchener for his insight into the news of the day with regards to Dan Snyder seemingly taking a strong control of the ownership group. Uh, we still have a ways to go. I don't want to presume too much yet until there is a report. We don't want to fall into that trap, but it does, as, as everyone helped lay out for us, it does feel like things are heading in that direction where Dan Snyder will take full control of the, the ownership group. What happens from there, we'll see. But that, that New York Times report suggesting he's facing a fine Perhaps that may be it with regards to any punishment coming down from the league regarding the Beth Wilkinson investigation. But again, we'll have to see 
how that unfolds. Before we get to Dan Helley, again, just appreciate everybody here checking out the Standard Room Only podcast. Um, I had somebody say to me the other day, why do you repeat the name of the podcast or even the guest when I'm listening to the podcast? I don't know. Some of it's out of habit. When it's a guest, sometimes it's because I'm trying to uh, promote, help promote the guest multiple times. <laughs> but I don't know. It's just that I have it, I guess. I, I've done very minimal radio, but I've done some radio, and I, I guess it's like I have it. A um, couple other quick things. So today, uh, Fabian Moreau became ex-Washington football team cornerback. Fabian Moreau signed a one-year deal with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, confirmed that. Uh, I was like Fabian Moreau, 2017 third-round pick. Better on the outside than in the slot. Unfortunately, too often it felt like the team over the four years was trying to play him inside more. This year, he just, you know, fell behind pretty quick in the rotation, not just to Kendall Fuller, Ronald Darby, and Jimmy Moreland, but also the, you know, Cam Curl became a nickel option for them and so on. So, you know, Fabian Murray just didn't quite work out for him. Wish him the best in Atlanta. I was a nice guy and enjoyed speaking with him. So he's reuniting there with, of course, Kyle Smith. I, I imagine that had something to do with it. Um, by the way, Ryan Anderson, also from that same 2017 class, signed with the Jets, or sorry, the Giants. Uh, sorry, the Giants on uh, early, earlier this week. And, you know, to note there, not a surprise that he's not coming back, of course. We've talked about that plenty. He was looking for a team to play the 3-4 defense. You know, things just didn't work out for him with this group last year. I will just say, um, I told you also this was going to happen. I'm going to go, I'm going to be the told you so guy on this one. A year ago, I wrote after free agency and after the draft and looking at the depth chart that Washington should try to trade Ryan Anderson. And they should do that because this, this is also connects with the, what I was talking before earlier in the podcast about maximizing your opportunities. He was going to be in a situation where they were moving to a 4-3, playing behind Chase Young, Rontez Sweat, Ryan Kerrigan, um, and you know, all the guys in the middle of the defensive line, he wasn't going to get a lot of snaps, barring injury. And you know, he also had some other options at that time, some other interesting players. Um, at the point I made this, like Jordan Brailford, Nate Orchard, uh, James Smith-Williams obviously became a thing during the year to, to a degree. Um, he wasn't going to make this team. He wasn't, I mean, sorry, he wasn't going to play a lot. He wouldn't be back this year accordingly. And oh, look, I don't know for sure that they could have gotten a seventh round pick. I was told at the time that there was some, you know, some interest around the league and that Washington was open to potentially moving him for the right situation, which, of course, doesn't mean anything. The right situation might be a second-round pick uh, for them. But, um, you know, it didn't happen. And I'm not so much pointing out that the team didn't do anything because I understand it, but the idea that people were uh, pushing back on me pretty significantly last year. I remember. I have the receipts. I know who said what. <laughs> uh, was nuts to me, and this is an example of why he's now leaving for free. You know, he'll be, we'll see him in the division. I like Ryan Anderson, the guy. He um, he was a fun, uh, a fun, a fun person to deal with in the locker room. Wish him the best, and we'll see what happens for him in New York um, for sure. Uh, so we'll see uh, what else happens with Washington. There's plenty of more moves to make. Right now, my move is this: we're going to get him to talk to Dan Helley, former anchor, uh, sports anchor for NBC. Four here in Washington, along uh, also a longtime voice for the NFL Network. He's now host of the Helipod, uh, which you guys should check out. Absolutely. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Helly. But right now we're going to get into talking about a lot of stuff, local media, the Washington football team, the Wizards, plenty of fun conversation here with Dan Helly here on the Standard Room Only podcast.
Um, I'm, I'm going to ask my guest, uh, Dan Helley, how one, how he prefers starting his podcast because he hosts uh, the, the, the Helly pod. Well, I, I was pointing to it as if the, if the people can see it. They can't see this, but the, 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 he's got the sign behind him, the, the Helly pod, which you can go listen to everywhere you do your podcast. And I'm, I, I still haven't figured out as I'm doing this podcast, how to introduce people. Do I introduce them like the standard? All right. And welcome. Joining the show is Dan Helly, or do I just start talking and like people come in in the middle of a conversation? Do you have like a preferred approach when you're doing these things? That's a great question, you know, because I've vacillated uh, between uh, two ways of starting the pod. What a lot of people tend to do is they tape the interview and then they go back and they hit on a couple of current events things and then they tease some of the topics that are talked about in the interview. Um, and then they say, let's go. So sometimes I do that. And then other times during this football season, for instance, I do my pod every week with Maurice Jones Drew. So we just go. And then there'll be a guest that joins us, you know, whether it's Stefan Diggs or Adam Thielen or whoever it is that week that joins us kind of in the middle. And then, boop, that's where we drop it in. So, you know what I say, Ben? Start it however the hell you want to start it. <laughs> well, I, I always think I like songs and movies where it feels like the first scene, I'm in the middle of something. Like, yeah. like I'm, I'm having to catch up quickly. So I always like that. But then when I do this, so I feel like, therefore, this should be... We're in the middle of an engrossing conversation about the Washington football team or local media or what we had for lunch or whatever it is, and then jump in. So I'll, I'll, well, I'll work on that. I, I will tell you this. It was, I don't know, maybe eight, nine episodes into me starting up the helipod, and I went to Sean McVay's house, and we sat down in his backyard. We had a great talk, and my editor, who was super talented, started the podcast with me asking McVeigh the last thing he had Googled. And he said, Sean McVeigh. And then we both laughed and that was the start of the podcast. So I'm like, oh, okay. So we did that a few times. So it was, it was all kind of different ways, but that's, that's a good point. That's the hook. Oh, wow. Wow. That's funny. Let's get to that later in the podcast. You know? I, I, I do have some random questions that I, that I ask people and I'll subject you to that later, but yeah, maybe, maybe it's fun to do that at the beginning. That's a good point. I'll have to think about that. I have to think about that. Uh, well, first, we officially welcome you, and I'm really excited that you're able to do this. I, I'd want I, you're somebody I had on my list to, to to come on. You've got the interesting combination of you're at, you, you've got the national perspective from everything you've done, but you also are a local guy, which I appreciate because it's not to say that only local people can talk about the Washington football team or talk about local media. Two of my favorite topics, but obviously, it helps to have that perspective. Um, I don't think we've actually. I think it's the first time we've, we're actually ever talking because you were, I was no, I was not really doing this when you were here and then you moved away. Uh, but I know we're connected in the sense that we both are Montgomery County uh, kids. I went to BCC. You went to Magruder, I want to say. I did. I did. I, I, I won't hold that against you. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know. I, to this day, I was having, I'm not even sure. Magruder is up like up to, up to okay, 70. So, so here, first of all, this is what everybody that went to like BCC or Whitman or any school inside the beltway. This is what they do. They're like, oh, hold on. Where is Magruder? I'm not sure. Uh, what's, what about Poolsville, Damascus? Yes, we were up 270, not very far. Actually, we, Magruder is technically in Rockville. It feels more like only. Um, right. You inside the beltway guys wouldn't know. Uh, you know, where only is. And I, I can, I say this in jest, I'm going to hang up my phone right now. I say this in jest because I lived in Bethesda when I moved back to the area and worked at NBC four and loved every minute of it. But uh, one of those common 
um, Bethesda questions was, hey, where'd you go to school? And I always said Tennessee. And everybody, they're talking about high school. Where'd you go to high school? Did you go to Landon or Prep or BCC or Whitman? I went to Magruder. It was by a cornfield. I loved every second of it. And it was, a, uh, it was an awesome experience. Yeah, I mean, look, the world was different back then. There was no internet, so I couldn't look at a Google map to see easily <laughs> where these things were. And all I really knew about schools outside the Beltway was that if there was like one inch of snow in Poolsville, which might as well have been Kansas for where I was, yeah. We didn't have to go to school even because it was in the same county. So that's all. that was my only sense of the schools outside the Beltway, as you said. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't, I, I, honestly, for me growing up, I was always just way more invested in the pro teams and the college teams. I never was, you know, Harry High School or anything yeah. in, in terms of that. So I get yeah, Whitman, I knew, BCC, Walter Johnson, a couple others. And then that was, that was about it. So Well, I, and you know what? And I was on the, the opposite end of the spectrum from you, man. I would read like, the Montgomery County Journal and mm-hmm. the Gazette. And I followed the high school football and high school basketball scene um, extensively because I played, you know, football and basketball growing up. And, you know, I was just a, an average kid, you know, in, in upper Montgomery County playing, but I, I was following everybody, all the good players and, um, you know, where they went to college. And, you know, then later on in life would run across some of those guys. I, I remember um, Ryan Keel, who was sure. a big wig with Under Armour, uh, for a while. And he was a really good player at Whitman. Um, and then went on to play at UVA, I believe. And then was an NFL long snapper for a long time, played for the then Redskins and Giants and um, just actually ran into him at a, a lacrosse tournament in Delaware the other day. So that's why Keel's on the top of my mind. Nice. Um, yeah, he was a Whitman guy for sure. Um, you know, I was going to ask you sort of about this, but since we're here, we'll, we'll get we'll get into some stuff. Uh, we're talking on uh wednesday afternoon uh, some news today about dan snyder and the ownership and, and how he may be buying out his partners and we'll get dan's take on what's happened with the offseason here with this team uh, in terms of the transactions and free agency but i am fascinated by the local media topics and you you know obviously where you grow up helps shape obviously a lot about who you are as a person but especially when you look at what somebody does for a career to some degree it, it does you if wikipedia is telling me the accurate thing you didn't so you spent your early years elsewhere, but then you came here uh, when, when you were when you were younger. Um, and I and I, I assume at that point, you know, George Michael and uh, and and all those legendary broadcasters were, were doing their thing here. And I and I'm, assume on some level those things helped shape the career that that you ended up going into. At what point did you? I'm not I'm not doing a tell me about your life, Dan Helly, but I'm sort of curious. At what point did you think? Did you want to be a, ultimately get into this industry because? you wanted to do this job or was this your entree into sports and you really wanted to be to sports? Cause for me, that's how I did this. I didn't want to be a writer. I wanted to be in sports and this seemed like the best way to do it. So I did, you are correct. Uh, it was Glenn Brenner, George Michael, Frank Herzog, uh, Steve Buckhantz a little bit later on, on channel five that, that I grew up watching. Sure. Uh, my mom was a teacher. My dad worked at the department of the interior they were uh, great parents, but relatively strict. We couldn't watch TV during the week. The only thing we could watch was the news. And the only thing I cared about on the news was the sports cast. So I would flip around and they were all on roughly the same time. But I believe at that time, even like now, Channel 4 had an hour long six o'clock newscast and most of the others had half an hour. So you're able to catch uh, two sports casts and you could wait for George's big monster segment, which back then was like nine minutes, you know, at six. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And we had a career day in seventh grade and I wanted to go spend the day, unlike all my buddies who were 
going with their friends or, you know, hang, hanging out at the local uh, doctor's office and, you know, learning about how they function on a daily basis. I called every sports department, channel four, channel nine, uh, channel seven, channel five, to see if they would let some punk snot nosed seventh grader come in and spend the day with him and learn what went on. And the only person that called me back uh, was a producer for Glenn Brenner. His name was Vinny. And he said, yeah, absolutely. You can kind of come in. You can see how we do everything. And, and I did. I spent the entire day there. Um, back then, they would FedEx the highlights in. The NBA would FedEx them in. The NFL would FedEx them in. Major League Baseball. And they would get them on a, on a big, uh, it's not a VHS tape. It was a three-quarter inch tape at the time. And they would pop the tapes in and you would go through and you'd pick out the best national highlights that you would run to go along with the local news stories. And then I remember Glenn Brenner did a show called Redskin Sidelines. And it was Dexter Manley, who was the guest that night coming in. And I was like a fly on the wall listening to their conversation in the office before they started the show. And that was it, man. I was totally hooked, Ben. All I wanted to do was be a local sportscaster in Washington, DC. That was my dream job. And from that moment on, uh, I set out to do it. I went to University of Tennessee. I had dreams of playing college football. And after, you know, a couple of visits to Shippensburg and Shepherd College and, you know, best case scenario, hey, we'll pay for your books, maybe, you know, your <laughs> sophomore year, if things go well. I said, you know, what happens if I go to Shepherd College in West Virginia, no offense to the folks who went to Shepherd College in West Virginia and don't like football, then I'm stuck in Shepherdstown, West Virginia. Let me go to a big school. And so I started applying to schools all over the country that had solid broadcasting programs, you know, Arizona State, Tennessee, Georgia. Um, Tennessee was my first visit and I was locked and loaded, man. It was like perfect weather. They had a small little department. Um, you know, I, I, half of our business ended up going to Syracuse. I have no idea where you went, Ben. You may have gone to Syracuse, uh, but I wanted to go somewhere. That I, I had no interest in the Northeast for school. Uh, I wanted like halfway decent weather and I loved the, the tradition of the, the SEC schools. Um, and so anyway, I ended up going to Tennessee and I knew what I wanted to do from that time on. It was funny. One of uh, my old, uh, I've on a text chain with like 10 uh, fraternity brothers and they, one of them snapped a picture of the black books you have to fill out as a pledge. And it was my little note. And it was, you know, Jack Daniel Helly. I go by Dan, but Jack Daniel Helly is my first name. My class in broadcasting is my major. And I just knew, I knew from the moment I went to school, from the moment I was selecting my school, what I wanted to do. And then I just climbed the ladder, you know, the, the, the rungs of, of local TV and, and moved around and literally like minor league baseball, you know, rookie ball, single A, double A, triple A. And then, and then DC was, was my majors. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and that, that seems like the traditional path for, for most people who do, who, who were fortunate enough to ascend to the heights that you got to. And uh, for the record, I went to UMBC. I went there for, I, you put in way more thoughts where you're going to college than I did. I, <laughs> I got, I, 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 one day I just ended up there and the rest is history. Uh, and 20 some years later, uh, we upset the, uh, we were the first 16 seed to win. And that's, yeah. that's, that, that's the claim to fame. Um, but p- part of the reason I was curious about that is look, Forget even just how the world of local sports has coverage has changed since you were here, or I'm sorry, since George Michael and, and Glenn Brenner were here, just since you were here, it's changed a lot. I mean, currently NBC four, where you were, does not have a, you there, there right. is no go-to person. Channel five has given up sports altogether. I interned for Steve Buckhans a hundred years ago. So I was there a little bit back then and that doesn't exist. If Dan Helley is growing up now, 
and you are watching and your parents only let you watch the news and you're watching the sports. Is it the same? I mean, obviously you don't know, but like, do you think it's the same thing? Because it is clearly not the same thing now. Those guys were rock stars and had all this time. Like you said, not only did George Michael have a lot of time on the news, but they had these extra shows. He obviously had the sports machine famously and Glenn Brenner. I, I was at a Redskin sidelines uh, episode once upon a time sitting there on the floor with the other kids. So like, what do you, what do you think the world is for you if you're growing up now? Well, it's a different world in terms of the, the process you have to go through, right? So when I graduated college, in le- you had to be willing to move somewhere that you probably didn't want to live at least for a little while to cut your teeth and, and learn how to do television. And now, now you don't as much with all the digital platforms and, um, you know, you can you can get a job maybe even at NBC four working, uh, you know, on the digital side or, or NBC sports, Washington. Um, and it's, it has changed, you know, ever since I remember, uh, one of my earlier jobs was in West Palm beach, uh, Florida at the NBC affiliate there. And all of these local stations pay to have consultants come in and tell them what their viewers want to see. And they do research and, this was, I mean, we're talking 2000, right? So we're talking 20, 20 years ago. And the research at the time said that, hey, you know, really only about 10% of the viewers care about sports. It's really about weather and the news and what's happening now. And I said, I don't, man, I don't know that I believe that, you know, and these, these sports towns, I think people care about sports, even the non-sports fans, like my my parents or my, my in-laws and they're sports fans, but my mom and my mother-in-law, you know, didn't collect baseball cards, but they cared about what was happening with the Washington football team and the caps. And, uh, you know, back then it was the Orioles that we rooted for. Um, and I don't know that that's necessarily changed, but it certainly changed how people consume it. Um, you know, I know when, when Sherry left, she was the last full-time sports anchor, Sherry Burris. Um, at NBC four, you know, and I was there lucky enough to be there with Zarniak. And um, shortly after we hired Diana Rossini, I ended up leaving for NFL network, but we had a great run of unbelievable talented people that came through there. Um, You know, channel seven had Tim Brandt for a while and things have changed. Yeah. I don't know. Certainly there's no appointment viewing. I don't think in terms of the legendary guys that we had growing up, you know, from a local standpoint right now, um, you know, maybe, I'm not there, but I do watch, you know, I have direct TV. I work for direct TV. I have NBC sports, Washington. I watch some of the, you know, pregame and postgame shows um, because that's kind of what there is now, right? There's no nightly sports show anymore. So it's all about, you know, it's all about the live programming and then what they call the shoulder programming. Now Um, I still think there is a market. I still think if you had a sports cast on channel four and channel five every day, I, I believe, I believe channel nine still does. And I'm not sure about seven, but, I think people are going to watch it. You know, I, I wasn't there that long ago and um, we had an unbelievable team, you know, Jim Vance, one of the greatest of all time, you know, rest in peace and Dorian Gensler and Bob Ryan, when I was there and now Doug Kammerer, um, that was, that was something that people tuned in to watch. And I think the sports cast was part of that. By the way, this is ridiculously off topic, but like the other day, I rarely go on Facebook anymore for all kinds of reasons, but I went the other day and, you know, it gives you like, suggest friend suggestions the other day like normally it's like somebody you knew from high school or, right. or like a work colleague because you just 
friend did some other work colleague the other one the other they had said you're here's a friend suggestion doreen gensler and i was like this is for like the, the, the teenager version of me is like this is preposterous i one i've never met her but like i i'm connected with heather mcdonough or other people that are currently sure. there so i'm just like oh my god what this is insane this is this is no i i, I did not hit the button i'm like i'm not <laughs> I'm not getting involved here. This is too complicated. Um, so, I so like I guess like I, I I'm coming at this. I, I you know I I don't view myself as being in the media, although right. I guess technically I am. Of not, course you are. Not technically I am, but like I still view myself as the kid who was at home watching all the people we're talking about. I watched I watch you as, as well, and I'm and I worked at N, at uh, NBC Sports Washington in various capacities for a long time, and I certainly get frustrated as a consumer where things have gone and i'm always like there has to be or can this be fixed or what are we doing and i always wonder what's the balance between like as a person who's into sports I, I don't mean i'm in the sports world like i'm into sports i want the deeper dives on stuff part of the issue i suspect is that too much of the local coverage especially on the local news stations is too basic for me and in this world where like i get all my information on twitter all the time by the time the news comes on i've already consumed it thought about it argued it and then moved on so but there's both the four five seven and nine local but then there's also the nbc sports washington thing i know this is not an easy it's not an easy fix to be just to be solved in two minutes on a podcast but is there something that can be done where you have this broad audience who casually might care but clearly maybe not enough because that's why the uh, amount of time dedicated sports diminishes versus the people like me and, and, and you who really were interested in this stuff. But I'm not going to be as interested in watching the most basic version of the conversation. That is the million dollar question. And that's the, the something that news directors who run local newsrooms across the land have been trying to figure out in a place like Los Angeles where I am now, it's relatively easy to fill a sportscast with quality content because you have two NBA teams, you have two NFL teams, you have uh, a couple of hockey teams, you have two baseball teams. And oh, by the way, you have the NBA champs and the World Series champs. So it's easy. In Washington, when things aren't going well for the Wizards, um, you know, and you have the Caps and you have the the Nats and you just don't, ha you're not choosing from a horn of plenty like you are in a place like Los Angeles or, or, or New York. It can be a little tougher. Um, I, I think you want that crossover appeal. You know, I know when I was doing local sports casts, the one thing that they certainly didn't want you to do was run national highlights that had nothing to do with the local market. Right. But one thing, and I'm sure you've noticed this, Ben, and I, I've said this for a long time is when you watch sports center and I'm a huge fan of Scott Van Pelt. And that's, that's the one sports center that I, that I watch almost every day, primarily be, because of SVP and I love him. And it makes me smile ear to ear every time I, I see the open and that he's in DC now doing it from DC. I just, I love that. And as you know, he's a Montgomery County kid from Sherwood and coming back home from all those years in Connecticut. And then before that at the golf channel, it just, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, but that being said, they're not showing Wizards highlights and Caps highlights hardly ever. So there's only one place that you can get that. And it's on the local sportscast or it's on NBC Sports Washington or it's on your phone, of course. Um, but not everybody watches highlights on their phone 
especially when the audience see here's the rub the audience that skews a little older which is the local tv audience you know the over 45 over 50 audience but that's not the most desirable audience the most desirable audience is that key demographic right you know 18 to 35 and I, I don't know that they're really watching local news to begin with right now. They, they are watching NBC Sports Washington. They are watching the regionals because they want to see their local teams. And what I would love to see on the regionals is I, I would love to see some form of a nightly show come back. It, and it doesn't even have to be maybe I think you could make a badass nightly show on NBC Sports Washington for 30 minutes every night. And I know it's tough there because they don't have the nationals. And unlike a lot of the other, other regionals that have a baseball team, that gives them year-round programming. You know, if you had the Nationals, the Wizards, the Caps, and then you could talk about Redskins news, obviously um, they're not going to have their games on the regional sports network. They have their preseason games there. But I, that's one thing that I, I think is, is really missing right now in, in the D.C. market is that half-hour nightly sports show. Couldn't agree, couldn't agree more on that. And, like, I know for me as it was frustrating – just to say to, to localize on the Wizards, uh, who obviously are not the most interesting team right now, to say the least. But um, as somebody who was at NBC Sports Washington, like I saw the evolution, or I will, I would probably say the de-evolution, where it was like at one point you had a, 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 you know reporters who were really talking about the team. I mean, obviously you're talking about it to the broad audience, but then there was also the having detailed conversations about the teams. But at some point it became clear from the management perspective that they shifted the focus to be more, we're gonna aim towards the casual people. We're gonna have more fun. And when they would have like the, there was a pre and a post game show and then they had a pre and a post game show ahead of that. They've since eliminated that. And I used to think what person is watching the, the post post game show right. of the wizards who is a casual person, nobody. These are the people who are the crazy people who want the deeper dive as to what the hell is happening with the rotation, why, why is why is somebody struggling or why what's working, whatever. And like that part always uh sort of uh sort of, sort of drives me crazy. But and to, to your point of the of the the national or the, the the half hour show, like the sports reporters, the 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 ESPN show that has been copied a hundred times over, mm-hmm. like that to me is what's is what's missing. And uh it's actually one reason I like doing the podcast because it can it, it it's not replacing the visual medium but i can say it, it, it's filling in that gap i think right. that me and some others are doing because it just it doesn't exist and yeah i would love to figure out i would love for somebody to figure this out because it's i feel like we're really going the other way and the pandemic hasn't helped obviously and and uh, you know people are on youtube too much and things like or not too much but people are on youtube and things like that so it takes away from tv but it's just unsettling i guess for me who grew up on all this stuff as you did that that things have just evolved the way they have well, I, I, the podcast format is fantastic. You know, having been in the the podcast game for for about a year now, I love being able to sit down and have these in depth conversations. And you know, maybe that's what you throw on as a as a post post game show. You throw on two smart, intelligent, well read when it comes to the the subject matter, meaning the wizards, you know, maybe it's somebody that writes for the athletic and then maybe it's somebody that's a TV host and they, you take half an hour and you do a deep dive into what's going on. Or maybe you do that once a week and throw that on the air. If I I think another thing that, that could help, you know, NBC sports Washington too, is take some of the, like they do with the junkies, you know, take some of the, the radio shows and put that on. I mean, that's where a lot of our guys, Kevin Sheehan 
to me is a is a great listen when it comes to Washington sports. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I listen to the junkies almost every day, you know, in podcast format, because I'm on the West coast, I can listen to that morning show when I go walk my dog here, you know, at eight in the morning, because they've been off the air for an hour. Um, Grant Paulson, I've known since he was literally in diapers and <laughs> the, the kid's awesome. And he's not a kid anymore. He's, he's, He's great. Um, you know, JP Finley does a really nice job. So I say, take the guys that you have around the market and, and find a way to get them on the air there, because this is what I do for a living. I t talk about the NFL. I talk about the UFC. I talk about sports. And those are the guys that I like listening to when it comes to the, to the local scene. You know, I'm, I'm not there. I still have access to all the information, but it's not like, it's not like being there in the market. Um, let, let me ask you one more media question. I, I, honestly, I've, I've said this before, I think on the podcast, but like if the athletics said to me, you, you can pick whatever beat you want in town, what beat do you want? I would say, oh, kind of the media beat. I'm way more interested in the media beat than I am like all the other stuff. I'm just fascinated by uh, TV, radio, print. Like I love it. Plus everybody. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's funny you say that, Ben, is um, Colin Cowherd, he just moved, but he lived here in Manhattan Beach and I'd run into him quite a bit. And you know, we'd get into conversations, not, we talk about sports, but we talk about more the business side of sports. And that's one of the things that, that fascinated him and almost more than business. I'm, I, I like the media side as well, because I've just been, I've been a fan for so long. And now that we're both in it, you're really curious about how it works and why things happen and who's going where and when, um, yeah, and it, there's fewer there's fewer media writers now too. You don't you don't see many of those. I, I feel like Phil Mushnick up in New York is one of the last guys you know standing. The the Post had media critics for a long time, and um, I, I don't know that they even have one now. I guess I guess Steinberg for a while kind of served as that guy on the sports blog, but now he's you know a regular columnist. So I, yeah. I don't know that he even writes about that. Not really. They have Scott Allen replace Dan, but he doesn't really. He writes more kind of analytics. Right. I mean, he, he kindly did a story on me a couple of years ago for something. And, uh, and Dan wrote uh, about me and my couple of friends, we were doing a project, but like, they're not doing the critique. They're not writing, right. Hey, this guy is great. Or this show is terrible or whatever. Like they're not doing that stuff. They do have a national Ben Strauss is a national um, critic or a national media person, but right. not focusing on the local stuff. Um, and so the, the hey, Ben, real, real quick, yeah. real quick. What, what would you, what would you want to see happen as a local guy, as a consumer, a heavy consumer of sports in the DC market? What would you like to see that's not there right now? Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of what you just said. I mean, be, with living within reason, like it can't be all of a sudden that NBC sports Washington is literally putting up programming 24 seven, that's not there that hasn't been that way forever but if we're just talking within the reality of like budgets are tight and i know they don't have too much programming and all that the sports center type thing you said i guess i just want it smart smarter conversation it is just frustrating and because my other thing is whether we're no matter who we're talking about tv radio in particular more so than print th these are the people that the masses more people are going to be watching tv and listening to radio than will read me realistically right uh, or, or, or the post or whatever. And so right. from that, these are the people who set the conversation in this town. And also I think for a lot of people shape what people think. I grew up on Ken Beatrice, Ken Beatrice. I know some people will make fun, whatever, but like I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really think he helped shape how I view sports positively. I'll take the Pepsi challenge, how I view sports to people. Uh, 
and he, along with others, I mean, Tony Kornheiser was somebody I was reading. And then of course, you know, all the TV folks that we're talking about, um, that's important. And when you have people on who either, how do I say this? Don't necessarily know the details, don't do the homework, aren't at the games, whatever it may be, or just, I don't know, they're not, you know, sometimes it also is, are you from this market or not? All these, when you, to a degree, I guess, how do I say, I don't want to say dumb down the conversation, but if you make the conversation so casual, that to me is where you lose somebody like me. And I wish we would raise the game on that instead of going the other way. Well, I totally agree. And and listen, it it comes down to dollars and cents, Ben. And when you look at kind of who's there and who's not, they're not paying the same dollars that they were at, at one point. And when, you know, when I got to DC in, uh, Oh six, George Michael was still here. Um, Tim Brandt was doing the sports. Brett Haber was, uh, was at nine and, and Dave Feldman was at five. And all of those guys had been on the national level, right. um, before or were at the time. And then they had Zarniak and me, you know, with, with George and yet very good people all over the place. Kornheiser and Wilbon were still writing for the post at the time, you know, J- Jason Reed, Jason Locke and Fora were beat writers, you know? So you, it was unbelievable how many people were, were in the market. And you talk about smart conversation. There was no smarter conversation than what happened in the media room at the then Redskins park. You would sit in there and listen to some of these guys chop it up. And it was, um, it was phenomenal. It was a sports talk radio show within itself. And, you know, you had the, smart and thoughtful, you know, Jason Reed, you'd have Tom Boswell coming in there. You'd have, uh, you know, Jason Lock and Fora, who was always, you know, kind of uh, mad at somebody or something, which was great because that was his personality. And that's what you love about him. I was going to um, say he was feisty. He was super feisty and he still is. And that's what makes him him. And right. um, I haven't had a chance to listen to his radio show, but I- I'm sure it's a good listen because of that in Baltimore. But that's and I sound like an old man now, but that's what we had. We had those larger than life personalities, those uber talented, super smart guys that were part of the conversation. And there are still some who exist. Sure. But you've just injected um, a, a lot of a lot of youth and, and you don't have as much experience and not just the D.C. market, but I think in every market. And that's part of what um, with along with the budget cuts, you've seen a lot of you've seen a lot of big names nationally. Um, you know, and, and locally that aren't there anymore because they just got to be too expensive. I mean, that's just the nature of, of the beast. So you got to walk that line and, and figure out a way to maybe sprinkle a couple of those people in there and, and then have the other, you know, younger beat writers and, and guys who, who can be there as well. And, and also like, this is like similar to how we talk about sports. It starts at the top. Like if you are, if your boss says you need to do this, well, then you're going to do that unless you want to <laughs> fear of going against the power. And then, you right. know, who knows what happens. So some people are, I'm sure, I, I know based on talking to people that, you know, there's more that they could or couldn't do that or more that they could do, but you're limited to the format or whatever. And I think for me, that's more what I'm talking about more even than the people, but yes, ultimately that level of, of, of conversation. Um, l- last thing on the media for me, uh, in, this, in this town over the last couple of years, we've had some significant changes with certain uh TV or radio broadcast. The Wizards changed from Steve Buckhans. Uh, and then the, the football team, Larry Michael, was out in connection to the what's going on over there. I'll just say, say it like that. Uh, the, the, the radio ultimately landed on Bram Weinstein, who is a guy who was 
well, it was it was with ESPN, all kinds of uh, connections, and he is local. NBC Sports Washington landed on Justin Kutcher, who has uh, with various you know cable outlets, he's got credentials, not local. There is questions. I'm not going to ask you to sort of <laughs> discuss either either of them, but like there is this line of like. Who's the type, what's the best person to get for the local TV slash radio broadcast? I don't personally always need the Homer, but I always like feeling the sense of that the person is, when I was a fan, emotionally connected to the situation, either because they grew up here like Buckhams did, or you, you can naturally feel it. But you also want to get the best person for the job. What, what, as somebody who is dinless, I know you've been interested in some of these things. What's, what's that line for you between how much does the getting the local person matter or is it just a matter of does the broadcaster connect with the audience to make them feel like they were that, that they're you know that they're invested? Well, first of all, you want to get the best person for the job, um, but I do think in a place like Washington, uh, being local matters, and I just think there's enough um, talent there. Look at all the people who have either worked there or are from there and have gone other places and, and came back. You know, Bram was Bram's a friend. Bram, I thought, okay, this is an interesting hire. He's never called the game before. So this is going to, I'm curious to see how it goes. And I thought he was awesome. I think he was great. I was also curious to see how it was going to go with a three-person booth. And I talked to Julie Donaldson when the decision was being made. And as this was all going down, I've worked with D'Angelo Hall before. I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. Um, and I thought it was going to be challenging for the trio to figure out you know, where Julie would get in, how much D'Angelo would say for Bram having not called an NFL game before, just trying to work through all those kinks. And I, I thought they did a pretty nice job. Um, and I, I think that, um, you know, Bram being local and knowing the history of the team, not just knowing it, but, but living it, right. I, I think matters. Um, you know, Kutcher's doing a nice job calling those games. He, he obviously didn't grow up in the area. You know, I, I remember... <laughs> I remember going to, I had, a, I had a picture of Manute Bull and Muggsy Bogues on my wall. I wanted to shoot jumpers like Jeff Malone. And I'm sure there are a lot of kids like that, you know, in the area, but it's not always possible. It's not always possible to get somebody that, that grew up there. Um, you know, it, it, it's just like, you don't always have to have a former player uh, who played for that team as an analyst, although that's the goal, right? Because they have a history with the organization. Um, it's tough. You know, it's, t- it's tough. I do think that, um, in Washington, you are, you are blessed because you've had so many people come through that market who have been from there. And, and I think viewers connect with that. I know from my personal experience, having been at channel four, I liked being a fan on the air. You know, I would be in the press box at Washington games and I would be cheering when good things would happen. I'd look over at lock and for and he would just be, ah, ah, I can't believe that, you know, the, the real hardcore writers, you can't cheer in the press, but hell he shut up. What's your cheese? You know, but that's what I did. I wanted them to win. It wasn't a better story for me when they lost, like it was for a lot of guys. And believe me, I don't mean to be picking on lock and for, I really like him. It's just, you know, his personality, he is feisty. So it's fun to poke the bear sometimes. Um, but I was a fan on the air and I think people appreciate people who are fans on the air, you can still remain objective. You can still call a good game and you can still be a fan. I thought Buck Hans did a hell of a job doing that. Yeah. I, I, thought, I thought he walked the perfect line for sure. And I always said I was biased because I said I interned for him and, and uh, grew up here, but I, I'm, I, I like to view my biases as being fact-based. Like I'm not biased because 
I want to be, I am because there's a reason to be. And in well, and as case, a fan, he- as a fan, you know, right? So I can still root and be realistic about what's going on. You know, there, there. I don't know any fans of any teams that are always a hundred percent positive and think everything's always rosy, especially when you're losing ball games. You have to be realistic about, you know, the the needs and how a team improves and what's going on in the moment. I think that's that you're that's very possible to do that. <laughs> right. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about some of the the actual football team stuff. So I, obviously we just spent the entire conversation talking about how two guys who are from here are viewing this thing locally. Uh, so I, even though I try to be as objective as I can be, I only can view this team as I know them. I grew up right. as a fan. I now cover this team. I, I have no more emotional attachments. I'm dead inside on these things, but I, <laughs> I, I, I know the history and I, it's, it's impossible for me to separate who I am. You have the opportunity to be both that local, but now over the last several years, you've been national and you've been able to view the Washington football team, not just here, but in connection to the Cleveland Browns, the Green Bay Packers, you talk to all kinds of people, to all kinds of coaches. So Ron Rivera, who's interesting locally, he is probably the most important person in my life that I'm not related to on some level, or, you know, (laughs) don't have a a close relationship with. Um, And so I need to figure him out. You can see Ron Rivera on those terms, but also in connection to all the other coaches and powerful decision makers around the league. So in, in terms of Rivera, I guess, What's your sense of him from that prism? How does he sort of stack up as a, as a figure, as a person, whatever it may be? How does he sort of stack up to other people around the league that you now uh, deal with? I think Ron's honest. I think he's um, loyal. Uh, I've, I've called a couple of games um, for Fox uh, when he was in Carolina. I did the, the Detroit Washington game this year. Um, obviously just an, unbelievable story what what he went through i've told this story before you know we had to do zoom calls we weren't able to have our normal production meetings but um after the the ron rivera uh zoom call and then the alex smith zoom call and as you remember that was the game when he was that was his first start um i was emotionally drained i just couldn't believe what they were kind of overcoming and dealing with um not to mention you know the stuff that was going on in the organization with ownership and the name change. I can't imagine a coach who stepped into a more difficult position than Ron Rivera did this past year. And I must admit that early on, I was just thinking to myself, all right, guys, just, just lose games. Let's just get, let's get a top three draft pick and be done with it. Um, The fact that they made the playoffs with Alex Smith on one leg and, you know, an offense that, that wasn't, you know, uh, really that good to be honest with you and did what they did was, was nothing short of amazing. And that starts with Ron Rivera. So um, I, I think Ron's a great leader of men. And I think what you have there with Ron and the rest of that front office is synergy. Um, it's, it's a direct report system with Ron in charge and they, he, he's going to lead that ship. Um, you know, I, I don't know, you know, schematically, he's never going to get the credit that an offensive minded head coach would get somebody like a McVay or a LaFleur um, or a Kyle Shanahan. Um, all of those guys, by the way, who have, who have been in that building before, <laughs> which is interesting. Yep. Um, but uh, I, I don't know that you'll ever feel like you've figured Ron out. You know, when I, when I talk to him, um, I always have a good feeling after the conversation, but I'm always wondering, I feel like I can read people well. I, I never know what he's thinking. You know, 
you know, sometimes you're like, oh, I wonder that that seemed to go well. Did he like me? Does he think I'm an a-hole? Like, I, I don't know. What did, what did he think? So he, he's, he keeps things relatively close to the vest in term, emotionally, right? Um, but he is honest when you ask him questions. That's, that's one thing I appreciate, uh, appreciate about him, which, which not every coach or general manager is in, in that business. Yeah, the, that, that assessment of him, I think, is, is one that kind of resonates with me. It's like when you talk to him, I don't just necessarily mean one-on-one, but even like in a group setting, he's good at connecting to his audience and making you feel that like you just had a, a moment maybe. But then sure. at the same time, when you're done, you're like, wait, <laughs> did we just have that? Or did he? <laughs> is this what he wants me to think right. we just did and it is like wait you know, i don't really know what did i did, not saying calculated in a negative way but like he knows what he's going to say and how it's going to come across and the other guy like, you know one of the things that was like fun about jay gruden was he he had no filter he, he had right. no poker face and he just spoke which was both times fun and also probably maybe hurt his cause at times but he couldn't hide he couldn't hide his views on rg3 or whatever it would be so it's interesting dynamic from that perspective for sure yeah, he's just Ron's just professional. I, I think that would be the one word I would just use to describe him. You know, Jay was certainly more fun. I remember doing the Jim Zorn coaches show and during the coaches show, which we taped by the way, he would say something. And as he's saying it, you could almost see his brain trying to reel it back in because it wasn't exactly what he wanted to say, right. you know, as a first time head coach. Um, that is not the case generally with Ron. Um, and then of course, whatever the perception of Ron is, he is the face of the organization but I mean, it's hard to separate, even the things that seem to be moving in a positive direction. Um, they had some good moves this off season. They, have, they did win this division last year in some kind of random way, but they did win it. Um, but then there's the other stuff, obviously just within the last 24 hours today, we have Dan Snyder apparently is, is consolidating the ownership group. He's apparently uh, going to get, or he's in line to buy out the minority partners to he and his family have 100% ownership of the team. If there's a, there's still going to be a vote, among league owners to, to, to see how that goes. And there is still this investigation that's happening into the organization. We also have the name change story has come up again. I mean, it didn't come up like anything's happening, but the, the, the organization is kind of letting people know where they are in the process. Those are two huge things. And, um, it, you know, it's hard to just simply say, well, Ron Rivera has things in the right direction, but, and ignore the rest of it. So, so again, sort of from your perspective, now that you're on the other coast, you're, you've got some distance from this, both, geographically and just in your own life and you can see it compared to some other things what's your view of this has your view of the organization changed at all now as you see the broader scope or what do you think of it now that you're kind of where you are well that's a good question listen i'm not surprised um by dan snyder's situation um if they had found anything in the investigation so far i do not believe that the league uh, would have given him permission to take out more debt in regards to the franchise to to buy out the the minority stake in the team. Um, now he's probably going to turn around and flip that, you know, and sell that to somebody that he wants to sell it to, as opposed to somebody that you know Fred Smith and the other guys wanted to sell it to. Um, I, I think that Rivera is, is the kind of guy who is strong enough. Um, mentally and has had the experience of getting to a Super Bowl before with Carolina um, who can kind of withstand Dan and be, Hey, this is not what you promised. Stand down. Um, We'll see how long that lasts. Mike Shanahan was certainly the kind of guy who could do that. And, and that didn't end well. Um, You know, Dan Snyder's Freddy Krueger, man. Like he's not going anywhere. 
you know, he's going to be there for a while. And so the, if, if you were a fan of the Washington football team, as you have for the last 20 years, you're a fan of the Washington football team, whether you're a fan of Dan Snyder or not. And, um, you know, I, I think that I like what they've done, you know, in free agency. I like what they've done with the front office, even though it may not be the most traditional setup. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, you know, I, I like, I, I'm, I like Fitz. I like, I like uh, Curtis Samuel. I like William Jackson. I like I like the moves that, that they've made. Um, I think, I think Fitz magic and Fitz tragic can be intoxicating. We, we, we like the excitement because it's very different than, you know, watching Alex Smith play, even though he won games last year. I mean, those guys are on opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of how they play the game. You know, I, I heard some numbers. Um, I can't even remember where I heard this, but in the last three years, uh, Fitz's completion percentage is higher than Tom Brady's. He has more yards uh, per pass attempt than Russell, and he has a higher QBR than, than Deshaun Watson. <laughs> I mean, talk about a career rebirth. And it took me back to having Terrell Owens um, on our show a couple of years ago at NFL Network, and I asked him who his favorite quarterback of all time with was. You know, he played with Steve Young. He played with Romo, and I knew he wasn't going to say McNabb, obviously, because of all that went down there. Right. But he said Ryan Fitzpatrick from their time together in Buffalo on the back end of his career. He said, I just love the chances he would take. He trusted us. Um, and I think a lot of people like playing with him. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Even if it is a one-year rental um, to see, to see how that goes. Yeah. I mean, it, it is the polar opposite of Alex Smith. Like you said, not only the perception of Alex Smith as a game manager and this guy is the ultimate gunslinger, but also like Alex Smith putting his aside, the inspirational aspect of his story coming back from the injury, just not a great quote. At Ryan Fitzpatrick, we had him the other day. He uh, he dropped ten lines, ten anecdote stories that were just all of them were were gems, and I'm I can't be more excited to get for, to get back with him on a regular uh, rotation once we get into the season. I'll, I'll look forward to the QB weekly uh, meetings. It won't feel like pulling teeth. Um, I, I suspect. Um, I, I think by law, I have to ask you. So, what do you think actually happens with this quarterback situation going forward? It feels like Ryan Fitzpatrick is logically the starter, but you do have Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke, who Ron Rivera has said previously he wants a competition before. This is what he said before signing Fitzpatrick. Well, you could logically still say you're going to have one. I would be skeptical, but there are some people who think that the signing of Fitzpatrick is automatically means you're going to go get a quarter, another a quarterback in the draft, either at 19 trading up or in the later rounds. I've, I've been on the record saying I, I, at this point I would be surprised, but Anything is possible depending on how the board shakes out. What what do you, what do you foresee, or what what would your advice be? Are they good now, or do you think they have to go out and get somebody else, uh, either for now or for the future? Um, I, I would love to see them draft somebody else. I don't think you're going to be able to get a quarterback that you want in the middle of the draft. Um, you know, Adam Schefter thinks that that four quarterbacks are going to go in the first seven picks. Um, I think that you're going to have four quarterbacks go in the first eight picks of the draft. Um, and obviously the four, you know, it's Trevor Lawrence, it's Zach Wilson, it's Justin Fields, it's Trey Lance. So that, those guys are going to be gone. I, I think there was even a new mock draft today. Uh, I can't, I can't remember who put it out. I know it wasn't Daniel Jeremiah um, who said the first four picks are going to be quarterbacks, right? So who does that leave, right? That leaves Mac Jones. So somebody's going to trade up and try to get Mac Jones. And when, when you look at him, you, okay, yeah. I mean, he, he could be a good NFL quarterback. But think about this for a minute. Think about who he's had at wide receiver the last two years. Right. 
he's had four guys who are going to be top 15 picks, right? Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith. Four, I mean, no matter what team he goes to in the NFL, he's going to not have four receivers better than that. He had a top 10 pick at tackle. Najee Harris is probably going to be a first-round running back. He was playing with better talent at Alabama on the offensive side of the ball than, than half the teams that in the NFL. So I, I, I just because he played with good players doesn't mean that he's not good. I just think he's – listen, this is a quarterback-thirsty league. Somebody's going to trade up to get him. If I'm Washington, I, 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 don't, I don't reach for anybody. Uh, I'm going to – you know, it's a 50% hit rate in the first round of quarterback. You're gonna, are you going to trade up and then you end up with, with Mitch Trubisky? Uh, you know, the equivalent of, um, I'd like to see them be patient. If, if they draft a guy, they feel like they can groom in the second or third round. That's fine. But I feel like you already have those guys, right? You know, Heineke and Allen are still young. I know they really like what Allen did and, and with Heineke, the way that he finished the year, there's a lot of excitement surrounding him, but no, I don't believe this is going to be a true quarterback competition. You signed Fitz to be the starter. You have these two guys that you can potentially groom. And if you're going to don't reach for somebody, if you have one of these guys that you think could be the potential starting quarterback, let, let's wait till next year. I know it's not a quarterback heavy draft, but just because this year is, doesn't mean you have to reach. Love everything about that answer. Didn't know what you were going to say. Now, now, now I really am glad uh, you're, 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 I got you on the podcast because you never know what somebody's going to say. And uh, that was a fantastic answer because I agree with all that. And all the people who keep saying they're going to draft one, l- listen to what Dan just said. All right, I got five questions for you and then I'll let you get out of here. Uh, I asked th- the first three to everybody and then the other two I'm just going to make up. Per- per- person you wish followed you on Twitter that doesn't. Oh wow! Sometimes I First, think I should be telling people in advance these questions so they so they're not having to. No, uh, I know, and I do on. this all the time. I do like these quick hitters with guys, and when they take pauses, especially in a podcast, it's an audio podcast. You're like, oh man. Oh, I don't um, care, but I feel bad for the person. I think it bad. would be cool if LeBron followed me. I'm, you know, I'm in LA. I see him around occasionally. Or here's another one: Maria Sharapova used to be my neighbor. She's not anymore, and she goes to the same little tennis club that I go to. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of Sharapova's when she played. I wish Sharapova or LeBron. I cannot argue with one of those answers. <laughs> no, both of them would be fine for Twitter followers. Absolutely. Uh, as a local guy, to, uh, I'm curious with this one. Who's your all-time favorite athlete? Art Monk. Art Monk was uh, the guy that I watched growing up. I used to cut my sleeves of my jersey just like he did. And then um, my all-time favorite athlete that I've covered is Chris Cooley, still a good friend. Um, and then another guy growing up that, I mean, I, I like everybody in the area. I love Len Bias. I cried when when he died. Sure. Uh, but another guy growing up that I watched was uh, Frank Wycheck when he was at University of Maryland uh, because I kind of played that same H-back position. And, uh, and I loved him. Uh, letting him get away was uh, not a good move. I know. We had him for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um Based on a hobby or a habit, what's a Hall of Fame that you qualify to enter? Hall of Fame that I qualify to enter these days is pizza making. Um, I have a uh, a buddy here who um, has a, a a pizza dough company, and he gives me these cauliflower crust pizzas, and it's a staple of the Heli family uh, meal plan. We do it at least once a week, where we make our own pizzas with this cauliflower crust. And I grew up. Uh, working in a pizza shop for my uncle. 
So uh, I'm a Hall of Fame pizza maker. I, 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 I like it. Um, speaking of uh, uh, local stuff, uh, based on your previous work at NBC4, you got to interview all kinds of people. Who would be, if I give you, put you back in the, now the back in the time machine, but I give you a chance to interview anybody in the local sports world, really from any point that you get to have the one go-to, this isn't going to be, you get to interview this person. Who would you pick? Who would you want to be as your, your, your all-time local interview? Um, probably John Riggins, you know, from early on, I was a huge, uh, Riggo fan. Um, Jeff Malone was another one that I mentioned him early in the podcast. I really loved watching him play, man. That stroke was just so good. I think, uh, I think Manute bowl would have been interesting. Um, but if I had to pick one, if I had to pick one, it would be a guy that I have interviewed, but I would have loved to have talked to him when he played. It was Dexter Manley. Um, we had Dexter, Dexter still, it was one of the all time, most embarrassing moments of my life. We had him on NBC four in studio and we had just wrapped up a segment and I'm tossing back to Wendy Rieger and Jim Hanley on set. And Dexter goes, hold on a second, hold on a second. So the camera comes back to us on the side set. And Dexter said, so Dan, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you cheated on your wife? live TV. I'm like, I look at him. I'm like, never Dexter. That's quite a question. And I toss back to the set and I look at Wendy Rieger and Hanley. Rieger's jaw was on the ground. Hanley is laughing his face off. They go to whatever story they're going to. And I said, Dexter, what was that? And he said, didn't George Michael teach you anything? You got to be prepared for any question when you're on live TV. He just made up this random question. And so at the time, Dexter was still living in Bethesda. So I would see him around town. And of course, immediately my phone blows up. Everybody's texting me, dude, like what's going on? Everything okay with you and Ann, my wife who went to Magruder high school as well, by the way. I'm like, yeah, man, that was just Dexter being Dexter, I guess. And so I ended up seeing Dexter a week later in Bethesda with my wife. And he came up and apologized to me and shook my hand. And Ann put her hand out. I said, don't shake it. Don't shake it. Dexter, you got to be gentle because he squeezes so yeah. hard. He goes, I'll be gentle. And he you know, shook her hand and apologized. And it, it was all good from there. But that was that was one of those moments on live TV where I'm like, what what just happened? Well, that was crazy. That That is an insane story. I mean, I, I was anticipating what you might say was embarrassing. That was not what I was going <laughs> to, did not cross my mind as an option. That That is crazy. That, that does seem to epitomize the, the free-flowing Dexter Manley era. Uh, for, for, for sure. Um, la- last question, since you only primarily with what you do are talking national topics, NFL, UFC, what have you, uh, other than maybe when you get, uh, you know, to a situation like this, you can really get into the local, whether it's on the Washington football team, Maryland basketball, just lost a tournament, Georgetown, George Mason, got a new coach, spring training, starting caps, whatever. Any local take that you, any local topic that you have a take on that you've just, it's in the chamber, you just haven't had anywhere to throw it out, whatever it is, what, what's a local take that you have that you just feel compelled, you, you would like to uh, articulate to the people? Man, wow, that's a good <laughs> one too. Um, I desperately want to see the Wizards become relevant again. Desperate. 15 wins right now. You know, they have the fifth worst record in the NBA. It's time, it's time to throw in the towel. 
Let's play all the young guys. Let's let's secure a top three pick. This is a top heavy draft. Let's reboot next year. Let's hire somebody who's going to come in, turn this organization around. I I, I love Scotty Brooks. I, I I think it's 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 time. It's time for a reboot. And I'll tell you, I don't know that I had more fun covering a team than I had covering, you know, Hibachi, Agent sure. Zero, when the Wizards were good. They were never great. They're always on the cusp, but they were really good. And it's time for the Wizards to be really good again. And to be really good, you have to be really, really bad. So let's be really bad the rest of the way so we can be really good. I like it. That, that, that's, that's our official uh, NBA trade deadline preview right there. Uh, Cause I, I agree. Don't, don't try to get people go the other way. Uh, Dan, I really appreciated the time. You were great. Uh, go, go listen to Dan's podcast, the helipod. I'm sure it's iTunes or everywhere you do your podcasting and uh, you know, follow him on Twitter at Dan Heli. And if, as always, if you're going to follow him, be nice. Don't be, don't be a jerk. Uh, Dan, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Of course, Ben. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. All right. Again, many thanks to Dan Helley and for Erwin Kitchener for their time. Thanks to everybody here for checking out the podcast. You people who are 90 minutes deep into this, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that. And whether you showed up for one minute, I appreciate that as well. As long as you subscribe, that is what is key. <laughs> Listening is important. Subscribing is crucial. Um, again, thanks to everybody for checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe or check out what I'm doing over at The Athletic. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standick. But for now, I'm going to get out of here. Until next time.